Hey, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm Simon Sweetman and this is episode 57. Uh, our sponsors are Tea Leaf Tea, uh, Yeasty Boys and Lafare. And you know we're open for offers for sponsorship and advertising. If you want to uh, plug an event uh, or a series of events or even a product, uh, if you want to actually, you know, have a get a quick mention or if you want to do a full advert, then uh, please do get in touch. Um, this is a conversation with my Ali Manzanza. He is a drummer, a producer, a beat maker, a DJ. Um, he is the son of Wellington people will know in particular musician Sam Manzanza. So we talk a bit about that too. But um, my Ali has his own music career. He's uh, just released his second album. This one it was recorded live in a in a jazz club in LA. Um, Prior to that, he was a member of Electric Wire Hustle for a while. Uh, he's, he's been out and away from the band for a couple of years, and in that time, these two solo albums have arrived. He's gone on to do all sorts of things. He's been uh, he's been tutored at the famous Red Bull Music Academy. Uh, you know, we talk about it in the podcast. One of his lecturers there was Flying Lotus. So, yeah, he's got some pretty cool stories. He's toured uh, internationally with Theo Parrish as part of his band, um, worked with legendary New Zealand musician Mark DeClive Lowe, worked with him quite a lot. Uh, and he's, uh, I, I find, I've talked to him once before, I did a print interview with him a couple of years ago, I uh, find him to be a very smart and enthusiastic uh, guy, as well as obviously being very talented, I, I really like talking to him. And um, this one, because I uh, have uh, thrown some drumsticks in the vague direction of a drum kit once or twice myself, this one gets a little bit drum geeky, so... Um, I don't think it's too technical. Um, my involvement in the conversation helps it not be too technical. Um, but certainly we do talk drums and drumming and, um, and sort of geek out a bit on that stuff. So that was fun too. Um, yeah, he's a real talent, this guy. So um, hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation, me talking with my Ali Madzadza. So I was thinking, well, congratulations on the new album, which I guess is not quite brand new now, but... Uh, the live record. Yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, it's it's great. I mean, it's 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 um, I love it. But it's been quite a long time between that and your debut album. And we talked when your first record, solo record, was just about to come out. Uh-huh. And what's that? About four years ago. Um, yeah, 2012 or 2013, yeah. around about then. Yeah. 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 So uh, I've seen you play a couple of times since then, uh, but. You've been, and obviously the the second record's recorded live over in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we go back um, to how you got into this, maybe fill in a little bit about what's gone on the last couple of years. And... Well, I guess over the last few years, um, man, it's it's interesting. I've been there's, there's there's definitely been a lot of things that happened, and when I try to. St- like in a position like I am now where I'm stepping yeah. back and trying to look at it. It's actually yeah. been, I've probably been more active and doing more interesting things than I've realised. Yeah. A lot of the time I'm like maybe so caught up in the process of You're in it. doing it yeah, that yeah. I um, I kind of forget that there's been a, there's a path that's, that I've sort of been walking along or yeah, yeah. laying in front of me. And, um, yeah, it's it's funny because I, I guess there there are times, and I, I imagine a lot of artists go through this point of like, feeling like, they're not at the point where they, 
think they should be in terms of success or recognition yeah, yeah. or um, feeling like they're struggling or dejected about um, whatever whatever issues that they're going through. But um, yeah. really, like when I take when I take a look back since we last spoke, at least like there's been a lot of amazing stuff. Um, I've been able to tour with Theo Parrish. Um, yeah, wow. I've been able to um, tour my own music, you know, across the US and Europe, and um, I've been able to record this album which recently came yeah. out 1.1 yeah um been involved with um lots of interesting projects lots of um things have come away i think when we spoke i would have been with electric wire hustle at that time and that yeah um, that dissipated yeah uh, man who else i've been playing a lot with a band called sorceress which is right. um isaac yeah, yeah. and rachel fraser's yeah. thing um yeah, it's it's well, pretty. I was gonna say, I feel like when we spoke and you had your solo record, which was a uh, a solo record and, you, and name, and you obviously there were a lot of collaborations going on across that. You had vocalists, mm-hmm. and you had uh, you know other musicians featured, and, and but it was your record. Your um, what we talked about was sort of obviously everything up to and including that, and mm-hmm. that was sort of as is the way with an artist's first album. It's kind of like every single thing leads up to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, I, what I've been thinking about listening to the 1.1 is like, you're not trying to carry the baggage of every single little thing you've done. You feel a lot, you know, it feels a lot freer and in the moment and a representation mm-hmm. of you as a player, mm-hmm. a, a composer too, a band leader, you know, whatever, but that seems more about you as a player, whereas the first record, which which I really like as well, but the first album feels like, uh, you know, that's your business card. That's you going, well, these are the things I can do. I can do, yeah. the, I can do these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And so stylistically, it's a little bit more, not all over the place, but a little bit more diverse in a mm-hmm. way, this being a live record yeah. is just a, a gig, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a happening. Yeah, I think, um, I, think, I think that's definitely a good observation in that this record was more about me as a drummer and a yes. player and it, it was sort of I guess I would like to think of it as a, as a celebration of live performance and just what happens in the moment like mm. there's more or less no editing aside mm. from the fade out mm. so all the little kinks in there were things that really happened yeah. and and those little kinks which if you're in a studio sort of setting you would try to erase or rub out in order to get the perfect thing yeah. those kinks kind of led moments of that record to kind of become what they were so like with a piece like say uh montara which yeah. we did on there like there's a bit which i think in the piano solo we kind of snap from a slow um washy triplety thing to a really um tight sort of double time half time borderline trap influenced groove yeah. which just happened and I just thought I'd inject like a little hi-hat thing and then Mark on piano yeah. kind of caught onto that and then we just kind of drilled through. Whereas that, that and that was totally unspoken until mm. that happened mm. right then and there. So I think that's that sort of, um, what, what I really love about 1.1 compared to 1 mm. was that it's, um, it's really about, it's really exposing the creative process, not just in what, the final, not just in what the final recording is, but you're actually hearing the process itself happen yeah, yeah. as it goes. So with um, most studio records, it's maybe a bit more, you know, lots more trial and error and a lot more, um, uh, I guess, you know, pre-planning going into it. And maybe you have like the creative moment when you're like 
sitting and you know making the logic beat or like sitting at the piano and figuring out the chords and you have this excitement when you go into the composition but when it comes to the the final process it's like there's a whole lot of distillation that goes into getting that final product mm. which is all good and mm. that's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and lots of the best records were made that way yeah. but um i think i think that um it's probably quite highly undervalued the uh ability of um improvisers to kind of present material and creative ideas right there and then in yeah. front of you yeah. and um have that the process the creative intuitive thing like just right there and and just and leaving it and not being ashamed of the mistakes and mm. or turning those mistakes into the final thing and and being being cool with that and you know being able to make a lemonade out of lemons right there and then you know what i mean uh, yeah totally i also like i i wish more people you know across genres would make live albums mm. i feel like i feel like they're a really important document i agree you get to just like as we say just capture a moment in time yeah but it also it means that when you put out a new studio album it's your third album mm-hmm. but it's your second set of you know studio ideas mm-hmm. which so the this this 1.1 as it's titled too um creates space between the first record and the studio follow-up mm-hmm. you know so you've done that too but just at whatever stage of their career i always think you know why aren't people making live albums and putting them out and yeah they feel like something a person would buy at a gig they would buy a live album mm-hmm. because they've just they're just about yeah. to or they've just watched you you know that like they feel like a good souvenir i think i think it's um fear actually mm-hmm. i think i think a lot of artists are afraid to go warts and all yeah i think i think well it's so easy to fix things now yeah it? it's like, a, it, it like pro tools logic is amazing software and you can do amazing things with it but mm. there's you know there's definitely a lot of musicians who i and maybe this is too hard but i think they might be cheating their audience in a way yeah, yeah. by yeah well you know by like i mean it's making it making an album in the studio is, is definitely a skill and an art and a beautiful thing but yeah. like there's, I'm not, I'm not going to name any bands, but there's definitely bands that you see live who can't can't, de- it. can't deliver it. Yeah. They can't, you know, they they what? got that vocal take by, yeah, in, yeah. you know, nth degree and sort of chopping up every single little syllable until yes. they get the thing. But when it comes to doing it live, maybe they're pitchy or maybe they, their voice is cracking or um, yeah, maybe they just like. Or maybe the people in the band weren't actually the people on the record yeah you know there's a bit of that you know, yeah there's always been a bit of that so then when they go out and play yeah. yeah and and even like even if they did have the chops to do it like maybe just the i don't know there's i think there's a convenience that's come with the amazing ability to edit that we have now which yeah. um has rubbed out a lot of the I guess the funk or the edge of a lot of music like when you listen to like say Marvin Gaye records or Stevie Wonder records there's like drum fills which just happen once which don't reoccur or like little piano bits which just kind of happen or vocal moments which Mm. are there and little inflections which um in a lot of I guess contemporary pop music now kind of gets rubbed out and well these are all guys who learnt to do what they do live first and now I mean you you you're probably an example of someone who learned to do what you did live mm-hmm. first and, and probably drummers, that tends to be 
the case mm-hmm. more so than with other musicians um, a, a lot of times but um, now that whole the whole culture is around building someone up mm-hmm. as across the board across genres as a recording artist first and foremost and then sending them out mm. you know, yeah. more often than not yeah yeah and so, and some people pull it off yeah um, but there's definitely I think virtue in the long road mm-hmm. and by that I mean um uh, just playing just playing lots of gigs yeah. and you might not hit like the top top of the charts right away it might yeah, yeah. be and lots of years of slogging it out and not having enough money and yeah, yeah. and that but you kind of through that process you kind of you will develop something which is true and um, hopefully undeniable to, now, to some degree I'm smiling a little bit because you're everything you're saying is right but you're speaking this with wisdom and maturity and, and talking about a long game and working hard and putting lots of years in there. How old are you? I'm 29. Yeah. And so okay. and you told... No, no, no. I think this is great because uh, you you told me when we met um, four or five years ago that you were sort of almost a late bloomer to music and that you, in terms of playing, I think you're a t- you were a teenager. You weren't like a child prodigy that was playing drums at two. Uh-huh. You were, what, 13, 14? Yeah, that's about right. So... You know, you've already half your life has been dedicated to music, then mm-hmm. music playing. So it's fair, but it's still, uh, you know, some people don't arrive at the ideas that you're arriving at, um, and how to articulate them for for a lot longer into their career. Yeah. Well, um, I guess. Well, well, to without wanting, it's true. I didn't start playing drum kit until I was, I think, thirteen or fourteen. But um. Growing up with my dad, music yeah. was around. So yeah. when it time, well, let's let's go all the way back and let's talk about him again. Okay, we did talk about him last time, but um, what does he do? What? How? Did, when did you know he was a musician from right. birth? Uh, yeah. So my father is Sam Manzanza. Yeah. He is um, originally from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but um, he met my mother, who is a Pakeha um, New Zealand European woman. Yeah. Um, over there, they got married, um, got pregnant, and decided to come to New Zealand to have me. Yeah. Um, and I guess my dad and trying to, because that would have been a pretty major transition for him, like, yeah. you know, from being, uh, he was running like a bar venue restaurant in the in Kinshasa, which is the capital. Right. And when he came to New Zealand, it was, you know, a huge starting over for yeah. him. And to some extent, and, and I say this with no exaggeration, he probably would have been the first black person that a lot of people in New Zealand would have seen in the flesh. Yeah. You know, so... Um, so he's kind of, I, I don't know if he, if, if he experienced like any like really overt direct racism, but there was definitely like, he stood out. There yes. was no yeah, doubt. He could have hide. Yeah. Would have felt like he could have Yeah. And he, and he didn't blend in. And I yes. think, um, he kind of, he, I think he may, probably cherished that in a way. Like he, yeah, yeah. he sort of turned that into, um, so when it, when it came to playing his music, um, for me, uh, 10 I mean he's still playing music now but yeah, was, yeah. there was a period where he was killing it yeah. and sort of like he well, had I was going to say he's pretty I mean in my mind as long as I've lived in Wellington which is over 20 years he's you know be a long running long serving musician for the yeah. city his name is um, always around doing and doing uh, lots of different things mm-hmm. like uh, you know drum circles tutorials mm-hmm. you know teaching as well as performing yeah yeah open yeah. mic stuff and then actual dedicated gigs just the other week at the Newtown Festival mm-hmm. you know and, and several times across the years so he's 
he's someone you can catch quite often. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think like he's sort of been in some relatively informal way a, a institution of himself. Yeah. Like yeah. lots of like there have been so many musicians. I couldn't even count them, but like so many musicians who have come to prominence now who have at some Worked point in time with, played in yeah, yeah. dad's band so i know most of the trinity roots guys black seeds guys probably a bunch of the freddies have yeah worked with them um yeah i yeah i the list could go on and on yeah, of yeah. all the musicians who have kind of at some point had the the school of hard stamina yeah. of yeah, sam manzanza yeah. yeah yeah so anyway so growing up with him um music was very much a thing that was just around in mm. my life as mm. opposed to you must go and practice now and um and you know it, it was it wasn't it forced wasn't, on you yeah, but, yeah. but it was always there so yeah it was it would be in the way that i guess um new zealand culture produces a lot of good rugby players because there's a culture in new zealand of rugby yeah. being a thing which is valued yeah and the, and and that's not something that america has because they have a whole other thing of sports yeah so in my in my household we had music and so Whilst it wasn't like a, you must do music, it was just like a obvious thing which was there, yeah. which I, I presumed everyone had for yeah. a long time until <laughs> yeah, yeah. until I got a little bit older and realised that, oh, okay, not everyone is musical. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and so when it came time for me to actually start playing the drums, it was kind of, I already had a basic understanding of rhythm and how uh, quarter notes and triplets and yeah. all the divisions kind of worked, and so it... Having that understanding of rhythm, it was just like figuring out coordination and. Now, are you a self-taught tinkerer to begin with? Does your dad sit down and um, instruct you, or do you go and get lessons straight away? I, I had, I had lessons through high school. Um, there was a drummer called Richard Wise, who yep. was my first drum teacher, and then Matt Swain, who was in a band called Odessa. Yep. Yep. Um, he took me for a few years, and then from there, I uh, went into after. After a while, I kind of realised music was what I really wanted to do, so I went to the New Zealand School of Music after that. Yeah. And I had uh, Lance Phillip and Roger Sellers, who were my main teachers. Yeah, yeah, and they're quite important to a lot of people in Wellington, mm-hmm. particularly that go through that circle, but even someone like Roger is, you know, people go down to the Lido and mm-hmm. have watched him, again, like another institution in and of himself, really. Yeah, the, the two of them together is why I believe... The Wellington music scene, especially in drummers, punches way above its weight. Yep. Like, there's so many amazing drummers, like, per capita in Wellington yeah. that, um, that uh, I won't say Auckland doesn't have or Christchurch doesn't have, but I think Wellington probably mm. tops them for the mm. most part. Like, you have um, Ruben Bradley, who's putting, put out amazing music, and he came under both of them. Uh, you have Darren Mathiason. Uh, I know... There's a, an amazing young drum prodigy who's living in the states now called Dylan Elise, and yes, I know that yeah, he studied. Yeah, yeah. He studied with Lance. He's playing with um, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah, and that's right. He um, used to. I used to see him busking when he was nine or ten mm. in Manor's Mall with a giant big kit. Yeah, and people would stand around and be amazed at this little kid playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, and then like Ricky Gooch, of yep. course, who's Chris a O'Connor, who's now in Auckland, but yep. but uh, feels like a Wellington drummer today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think what it was is. Is actually the nature of having both of them. So Rick, you have Rick Cranston. Rick Cranston, that's another one. We, we could, we <laughs> we could go, go on, on and on. That's a yeah, separate podcast. We could absolutely go on yeah, and yeah. on. But um, so with Lance and Roger, you have on the one hand with Lance, um, in a in a nice way, but um, was a disciplinarian yes. in the sense of like, here are the snare drum pieces which go through all the different rudiments, and you have to tick these boxes in yes. order to pass the year. So 
and then here are the big band charts and you have to be able to read these in order to pass the year and then here are the these latin grooves and you have to be able to demonstrate you can play these in order to pass and so that develops like in order to pass you have to develop a work ethic yeah and you have to like you know so every week you're expected to tick the boxes and so every week you're practicing and making sure and that that, that work ethic is something which is really important and yeah. um helps you to develop quickly and then with roger on the other hand you have um He's kind of like the Yoda guru kind yeah, of figure, yeah, yeah. and he he would whilst he's very much um, a bebop drummer and you know pretty deep in that tradition, he's a uh, he's he was the guy who was more about I want you to find your own sound and find your right. approach to something. So um, he like when he, he sort of part of me going into jazz school in a sense was maybe a rebellion from my dad in a yeah, weird way yeah, because yeah. I was like oh there's the, he's playing these African tribal beats which are more or less just um, repetitive rhythms going over and over and these bebop guys are like all over the place and playing all these different angles yeah, and, yeah. and have all this touch and virtuosity and I want to be like those guys and this African stuff's boring and then, and Roger was kind of like well actually you don't realise this yet but that is like why you have this That's talent. the foundation. Yeah, that, that foundation is like the <laughs> yeah. thing, yeah. like the, the root of the family tree of uh, rhythmic music. And um, Well, not only that, I was just thinking like um, that, that sort of African source of music is something that not only is it a foundation of jazz, but uh, it's a lot of, a lot of the, you know, great jazz players go back and seek that if mm-hmm. they don't have it in them or around them to begin with you know yeah. I mean even that record we were listening to before we started recording like Ahmad Jamal you know like there are players who go in and obviously um, you know what is it um, Orgy and Rhythm mm-hmm. you know what, what's that drummer's name I've, I've just had a mind blank but um, was it Max Roach no no um, uh, Blake, 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 oh, Art Blake, Art Blake, Art Blake, yeah, right. and Roach, of course, did mm-hmm. loads of those things. You know, yeah. those, exactly like they got into the real percussive mm-hmm. um, extremes of jazz drumming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I guess I was quite lucky in the respect that, like, a lot of the stuff that I was learned through my dad from osmosis mm. is essentially um, the root of pretty much any music which is danceable. Yep. You know, like even yep. if it's like. Where rhythm total, is prominent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if it's total Euro house or yeah, whatever, yeah. it's like that, that, that four on the floor kick drum yeah, there's a pretty that big anchors <laughs> you, it goes way back millennia to mm-hmm. um, people in the village trying to yeah, yeah, yeah. dancing and all of that. So And beyond that, to, uh, I mean, that's, that is developed so they can basically summon people, right? Like, mm. you know, it goes back to sort of like replicating the heartbeat yeah. and, uh, you know, putting out like clarion calls for people to, you know, Point, you know, return to the village that are in danger, that sort of, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. there, there's a reason why, like, I mean, maybe it doesn't happen so much now, but in, like, sort of old warfare movies where you'd have, like, um, different sort of artillery units sort of marching to a beat of a drum, there's yes. something in that rhythm which collects people. Yes. And, um, and if people are marching in sync, then, I don't know, maybe they're more likely to go fight together or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, Or there's, there's a reason why, um, you know, yeah, it stirs, the, it stirs the yeah. adrenaline. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And um, so I think recognise like having that given to me, whether I realised it or not, it, it helped uh, when it came to finding. I guess, well, with the jazz stuff, which can be, um, I guess, more rhythmically sophisticated and free flowing, and you know, and all sorts of different time signatures and stuff, it helped me kind of feel those rhythms yeah. as. Um, as physical things as opposed to uh, mathematical abstractions. 
So even if it's like some crazy thing in like 5-4, you can kind of find lines through it, which um, whilst there's like an easy 4-4 pulse to dance to, there's, there's kind of, there's, there's a dance within it, which um, yeah. I think having an African root helped me kind of navigate. So across the last decade, you've, you've achieved a lot. And I'm thinking your father's an influence there too in terms of um, discipline. A guy who's, you know, married to music in, mm-hmm. in many ways and, and will always turn up. Mm-hmm. You, that's Again, that's probably something that you didn't even realise at first that, oh yeah, this is a leading example for me. Yeah, in a sense. I think, I think the biggest thing I got from Dad, aside from African rhythm, yeah. is... Um, and, and again, this this might in a way be a way that I've rebelled against him, but am kind of realizing the importance <laughs> yeah, of later yeah, is yeah. like he is he's an entertainer first. Yes, his first right. first and foremost, his his interest is um, the audience that's in front of him. Right. Um, and so he's a performer. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so when it comes to being playing with him or being in his band, like the musicians. The musician, if, if you can kind of imagine a uh, a diagram, he's like there's the musicians, and then there's like dad in the middle, and then there's the audience kind of yep. out in front of him. And so, the energy of the band, the energy of the band is going towards dad, and the energy of dad is going towards the audience. Yeah. The way I rebel against that is I probably my energy is probably more going towards the band in that like the interactive thing and yeah. all of that is kind of relies on all the different musicians kind of yeah. being present to one another and the the leadership style becoming I guess I've used this allegory before of being like democratic socialism with a splash of anarchy whereas right. with that it's kind of um, African authoritarianism and like this is where it is this is you know I, I am the chief yeah. and um you know if you're in the middle of a solo I'm going to start singing now because this you know because it's me yeah and boom and 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 if you're a band member, you just be like, oh, okay, all right, we're back to the group now. Dad started singing. Yeah, yeah. And um, and 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 I guess maybe me coming from a slightly more jazzier slash jazzier background, and also being more of a New Zealander, yeah, as opposed to an African, that that sort of maybe rubbed me the wrong way sometimes, as far as um understanding the. To go go back to the political thing and again the, the give and take of a democracy. Yep. Um, but but dad's I've kind of realised and actually I realised this at Newtown Festival um, last week when I was playing drums with him. Dad's way does work. Yeah. African authoritarianism does have a, a, a it serves a way which which we as like liberal democrats might not see right. as far as like just being an effective like way of sort of garnering a crowd yeah. and directly influencing their energy and so even if it's just 100% full force yeah. kind of stuff a crowd can get that very quickly yeah whereas if there's like lots of musicians interacting and mm. these moments kind of popping in and out and like the, the that creative thing happening right there in front of you that can go over people's heads mm. a bit, mm. even even if like within the musicians, it's like a maybe a depending on the musician, a happier place to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
not everyone necessarily picks up on that, but everyone can kind of pick up. I'm going to take you to the moon right now. Yeah, you yeah. Will, not, uh, will not bring you back down. Yeah. One, <laughs> two, three, four. You know, it, it, yeah. it, you know that. You know, everyone that hits everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, an escape. You know? yeah. yeah, And so um, I think I think there's definitely a lesson in that. Well, you're a very um, mean. I, one thing I've always admired about your playing is you're a very, I think, propulsive drummer which I think is, you know, maybe it should go without saying, but there are lots of different ways to play the drums and lots of people do it differently and and, and different partnerships with the music. But I feel like you're capable of many things. You've got chops galore, great groove, but you're a real, you're always stirring that pot. Right. You're always making sure that the energy is going out. Mm-hmm. It's not introspective drumming. It's not, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 dynamic, but um, with this sort of energy around propelling and groove, mm-hmm. which uh, again, it's probably an inherent thing. Yeah, but I, th- I think that sort of propulsion and energy, the energy thing is that's dad. Yeah, that's definitely dad's influence. As far as like um, there's other things I've got from my jazz training and, and playing with people like Jonathan Crayford or. Uh, like that, that sort of that creative in the moment thing. Jonathan Crayford was like my, my great teacher. Yeah, and and that he's respect. another name that always comes up with people yeah. that have played music, particularly jazz around here. Like yeah, yeah one yeah. of the sort of great informal teachers. Yeah, 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 yeah. master teacher that guy. Mm. Um, and and then at the same time, I grew up in the age of hip hop and um, dance music. And well, I was just going to say, this is all sounding a bit charmed life, like. Um, you know, born born with a gift of African rhythm that you eventually find is there. Um, great jazz teachers, jazz school. Please admit that you listen to some horrible, like, you metal crap right. as well. I, I, had, <laughs> I definitely had a Limp biscuit phase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you I, had I, to I because the, of your age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, th- yeah. I think I, I, I had a big Deftones phase. I still think they're legit, though. I yeah, think they, they're, I think they're, they stand yeah, the yeah. test of time. Yep. Um, yeah, corn that, yep. as well. Actually, yeah, lots of the first stuff I started... Actually, the reason I wanted to start playing drum kit in the first place was the Korn album, Follow the Leader. Right. Um, and I was... I think there's a song called Freak on a Leash, which I learnt the yeah. kind of beat to. Um, Deftones as well. There's a song on the White Pony album called Digital Bath. I think it's been years since I listened to it, but um, that was kind of what got me interested yeah. in playing the drum kit. Um, yeah, so yeah, there was definitely a new metal phase. I mean, e- even now, I, like, I, I do have a, a a taste for some I don't know some, some house music, which might be on the cornier side, yeah. but it just makes me feel good, and I'll still listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Theo Parrish has evolved from that in some sense. Some, yeah. some of what he, I mean, there's a guy who, and we'll go back to talk about him, but there's a guy who's done all, all sorts of things. But I hear. An evolution from house music and, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, absolutely more techno, perhaps, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so okay, well, well, how does Electric Wire Hustle turn up in your life? Um, you guys okay. all go to school together, so, or what? Like, so in I met uh Dave Tainan, um, I think in my second year of university, so it would have been about 18 or 19. Um, and I think he saw me busking. And I was pro- I, I think I was just sort of getting into Jay Diller and that kind of right. that feel of hip hop at yeah, that time, yeah. um, and I think he was into that too and he could kind of hear it. So he got in touch with me and um, wanted to talk about starting a band. And then later on, 
in Christchurch, he met Mudder. Yeah. Um, and Mudder happened to be coming up to Wellington to go to jazz school at the same time as me. So we all sort of happened to be in Wellington. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then I guess it started from there, like sort of in getting in the studio and making beats and uh, and doing gigs here and there. And then it sort of yeah, that that was definitely. There was definitely some right place at the right time kind of moments yeah. that, that started to take off relatively quickly. Um, when you guys started getting whispered about and then more than whispered about, my feeling was, and I was probably a bit older than, you know, most of your fans, but um, my feeling was like you guys were like a, a replacement almost for what had happened earlier with Trinity Roots. Okay. That, you know, like like not not that you're copying them. Yeah. I don't mean that, but just like in terms of a, a role that you filled. Mm-hmm. Um. And and you know, I, I guess a similar sort of set of players. I, I guess yeah, because Trinity Roots sort of disbanded for a while, maybe yeah. around about the same time that we. Yeah. So it's yeah, a, yeah. that's a fair point. I never yeah. I never thought about that, but yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, well, it's probably way. not for you to think about. You know, yeah. you're just you're just doing your thing. You know, like mm. it's for boring old people like me that have to think of things to say about music it's, it's <laughs> my job to try and think yeah, about yeah, that yeah. yeah 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 so you guys put out a couple of albums and then you they're still going or uh, um, they were until recently are they still uh, I think Dave like okay so we we there's the first album which was yeah. self-titled then there's Love Can Prevail which yeah. I was um we all made together but um I left before it yeah, was released yeah you didn't tour it or anything like that yeah, yeah, yeah that's um, right and then and then yeah, I think they did another couple and yeah. I think and I from what I've heard Dave's left now and it's sort of just mutter driving it. Yeah, right. So yeah. The, the brand still exists but it's really for him. Um yeah. and so yeah. you 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 remove yourself and around that time I guess what while that Love Can Prevail album is being made, you're also making your record basically. Or not Yeah, I think yeah, yeah run about starting to yeah. Yeah, so I, my my self titled album came out after the first Electric Wire Hustle, but before Love Can Prevail. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And what what gives you the idea that you can, you know, as a, a drummer who plays in bands, <clears throat> what gives you the idea, oh, I don't, I don't need a band, I can be, I can build a band around me, I can be a one-person act, I can, I can write music, I can, mm-hmm. um, well, you know, when do you step out into that sort of idea of that role? Well, there's sort of two strands to this. One was, I guess as far as, like, to an extent, it wasn't that I left Electric Wire Hustle in order to pursue a solo thing. Yeah. It was, I left Electric Wire Hustle and I need something, so I'm going right. to start doing a thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, that, so that's, that's one strand of it. And the other one is, I guess, the ongoing quest for... Self-identity, figuring yep. out who you are, and yep. um, I think one one of the one of the things that made me click was when I did Red Bull Music Academy in two thousand and ten, and um, at that point, I was definitely a, a competent drummer, and I could, whilst not I'm not going to say I could play everything that I wanted, yep. but I was you know good enough to kind of adapt yep. to all sorts of situations, um, but. I realised that lots of the people there had very strong identities of their own. Yeah. Um, 
and while they might not have been as versatile as me, they had a thing which they could do. So I had like Hudson Mohawk, who mm. was who was one of the people on the team, and he had a very strong thing. Flying Lotus was one of my lecturers. He wow. obviously had a really strong thing. Um, there's a guy called Lunas who has subsequently gone on to do big things, particularly with Hudson Mohawk, and he had a really strong thing. Um, there's a there was a pop singer who was pretty popular in the UK called Katie B. Yep. Um, and she she had a you know if, and so there's all these people that have like really strong musical identities. And at that time, I was a great chameleon, but it kind of clicked after a while that actually all the musicians that I respect and looked up to had a thing and it wasn't and they resonated not because they could play with anybody in any style but because they had a thing which only they could do yeah. so Alvin Jones says it's like a sound only he could do Art Blakey has a thing that only he could do yeah. Chris Dave has a thing only he can do and um, so for me I had to think about okay well what is it that I can do because up to that point I was like I can play in the style of yeah, X, yeah, yeah. XYZ yeah 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 um, and and there's nothing wrong with that by any means, but um, it was I realised there was time to sort of start whittling down my influences and trying to figure out that path. And one of the first hurdles that you come to is like, well, what is it? Because up until that point, you've just been absorbing other people's things. And in order to figure out your own thing, that's like so you have to like pretty much toss everything out. It seemed like at the time. Yeah. And. Um, and, and that brings on a whole other set of psychological um, minefields that you kind of have to navigate. Um, but one of the things that I started doing was trying to figure out my own practice exercises. So as opposed to practicing from books, I would just be like, okay, what's a weakness that I can see in my playing? Mm. Okay, there's that. I will work on that. Um, and also uh, starting to compose and use logic and getting into beat making and yeah. writing my own music that that helped my actual drum playing because it created an environment like the compositions I made created an environment for my drumming to live in yeah. as opposed to having to my drumming to be in other people's environments and I kind of realized that um, that that helped me out a lot because um, I I thought that in order to be like a distinctive drummer, I had to work on the drumming, which obviously you do have to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's like when you're trying to figure out your self-identity, you actually, you can't work on that in the same way that you can work on the speed of your single strokes. What you, because that's you, you can't, like to work on it is to like try and create something which, like it's already there. Yeah, it's yeah. already there. And so, the, the working on it is almost like the opposite of working. You have to kind of get out of the way of it. And But what you can work on is creating the environment for which your natural self can flourish. Yes, I was going to say, it's about unleashing the personality, right? Like, yeah. In a way, because all of those great Wellington drummers you named, um, from Roger Sellers to the Disciples, you know, Gooch, mm -hmm. Gooch and Rick and Chris O and, and Darren, I mean... None of, and they they don't play like each other. They're all mm -hmm. they're all different versions of great. Mm -hmm. And what's different about them is that in each case with those players and again many others that we could sit and name, is you distinctly get their personality and their personality only. Yeah. In their playing, mm -hmm. rather than when you watch a 
covers band drummer who mm-hmm. is who is trying to play like Ringo because it's a Beatles song, and then is trying to play like Mick Fleetwood because it's a Fleetwood Mac song, mm-hmm. which is which is totally valid. Yeah, you know, it's going to get your jobs, and mm-hmm. it's and it's the right thing to do in that in that situation. But I, I maybe it's because I've played drums on and off, and I've always gravitated towards. You know, watching and listening to drums, but I feel like obviously there's personality comes through in any musical instrument, but I feel like there's a real way of putting that stamp on it with drumming. Yeah, and um, so I guess I guess for me, yeah, the 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 pathway to finding my own sound on which initially was on the drums was actually to develop as a composer and a yeah. and a writer, and then the drumming would more often than not be serving that broader picture yeah. but I was defining the picture as opposed to like I have to like get off all these chops in this yeah, other yeah, person's yeah. thing which 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 works for some people yeah, but, yeah. Um, there's always a time and place for that yeah but yeah yeah so I think um yeah that that's helped me out a lot yeah. I guess and, and like the realization that as opposed to like working really hard on becoming an individual personality you kind of have to just actually stop yeah. just stop and let it emerge because that it's you and it's always there and it's when you were a kid you knew it and you just kids kids know yeah it's kind of just they just blat it out and like they, they have no um social inhibitors which stop them from being themselves so it's kind of trying to dig that up again i want to know a little bit more about this red bull academy and what what you get out of it obviously everything you've just been talking about then mm-hmm. developing you know your skills as a composer and your unleashing your personality and defining your style all comes from that that red bull academy and mm-hmm. that realization can you talk a little bit about exactly what happens there i mean you you're talking about you know hudson mohawk flying lotus i mean mm-hmm. these are these are pretty important names in beat making instrumental hip-hop yeah um, you know, future jazz, whatever you want to call it, all these different, you know, pe- people know about these guys and they make amazing music. Mm-hmm. So what's it like to be in their sphere? Um, I think, well, we're, prior to going into it, I guess I had the goal of trying to get as much technical knowledge of production as I could. Yeah. So like, um, and, and, I, and I got some, but I think... Um, I was t- I was actually I was talking with Flying Lotus actually about because um, because the music he makes is pretty out there yes. at, at, at that time especially because he, he was right on the vanguard and um, but yet it was still generating a lot of yeah, quite yeah. commercial success and he was this was maybe just before Cosmogramma came out right yeah and um, so he was playing us some some of the some of that album yeah right and um, I think I asked him like how is it that um, you know how do, how, do, how do you navigate because he, he could easily make some stuff which panders to a more mainstream thing and yeah. and maybe have a bigger name for himself. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. But he's managed to like be pretty or out there a and bigger, develop... A bigger pool than house anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he was just like, well, at the end of the day, it's your legacy. Like, yeah. you gotta you got to define, like, when you die, what are the things that are left on the record on this yeah, planet that yeah, you yeah. want to to represent and, who you were and start with that yeah and and then go from there and um commercial uh, he didn't explicitly say this but you know the commercial success whilst whilst you need everybody needs to make a living yeah it isn't as important as um 
just putting out stuff that you believe in. And for him, th- there would have been some right place at the right time things for him, which meant that like he was able, like the scene that he was a part of was able to f- was flourishing at the right time for him to be at the forefront of that and yeah. for him to be as big a name as he is now. But it's, it just all started from just like just doing stuff which was genuine and true, and then no one else was doing that. No one else can do it, and so when people are looking for this sound or style, like yeah. he's the he's the guy. But because of that commitment to um, just being himself and like putting out true statements. So, what is the commitment for you uh, or anyone who does it? of being in taking part in this academy what do you what's required of you how long what's the duration what's the um be, obviously the benefits carry on mm-hmm. through your career but what's the immediate sort of outcome of it and and what's the duration of it it's two weeks yeah um and, and how intense is that two weeks it's pretty so so the day-to-day is is you and i think i think there are 30 other people from around the world yeah who are Round, round about, um, in the, mostly in their twenties. Though yeah. some people are older. Yeah. It's, it's not directly ageist, but yeah, you know, it's, it's skewed the idea is way. it's fostering yeah. younger talent. Um, yeah. And you you go in and you have breakfast, and then there's a lecture from someone like, say, Flying Lotus, or there was a guy called Doctor Zinoviev who I think was a pioneer in building synths or yeah. Roots Maneuver. Um, you know, countless who were, yeah, and yeah. all those lectures are available on the website too, so yeah, you, can, yeah. you can watch those yeah. regardless. Um, so you have a lecture, um, and then there's like a amount of studio time where people, just the students, go and collaborate and or work by themselves, or you know, just spend time making music. Um, maybe there's some tutorials. So like, say, I, I learned some stuff about using Logic from DJ Zinc, yep. who's a prominent drum and bass DJ, yep. and. Um, he he helped me out as, as far as like how to do do basic drum programming stuff. So that that was really useful for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, Russell Elevado, who was D'Angelo's engineer, he was in there sort of doing some like um, recording tutorials and stuff like that. And then there'd be like another lecture in the um, late afternoon um, with another famous person X Y Z, and then either. M- then there's lunch and dinner in there as well and either more studio time and every night they have a different like concert um academy related concert where the students are participating in it um and and there might be some bigger famous names in there too uh but so every night there's a gig which you can go out to or and you'll likely be performing at one of them as well and and so it's kind of like that Wow. For two weeks. So it's music nerd camp. Music yeah, it's nerds, kind of... It, it, the, the best possible way. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Hogwarts for yeah. musos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's... There's nothing... There's no assessments to yeah, it. There's yeah, nothing... Yeah. You don't pass you or don't fail anything. You don't rank and you're not... Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just um, more of a... I guess a very um, well-resourced musical retreat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like going to the... To the chocolate factory, yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. golden ticket. Mm-hmm. So, so you come away from that with more questions than answers, which is great. Yeah, and 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 this big drive to find yourself in mm-hmm. more of a composing role, producing, and also, you know, through that unleashing your musical personality across the drums. Yeah, um, defining who you are as a player mm-hmm. and, and your sound, and that manifests in what? I guess, well, most of the 
one album was written in the year after. Yeah, that. well, that's, that's what I'm asking. So, that's what so, I'm, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that kind of came about. And one whilst being. There's definitely some drama stuff in there, but it's probably more a producer, big yes. maker album. Yeah. Um, which and that would have been directly an influence of the of the guys around me at Red Bull Music. Yeah, yeah, Academy. yeah, yeah. Also, another thing that came out of it was my connection with uh, Ross McHenry, who's yeah, a yeah. Australian bassist, and that's where we met. And we kind of connected because we were the only people there who were musicians first. Like, mm. I played drums, he played bass. Well, you, you mean everyone else was sort of of the DJ, producer, beat maker sort of. Yeah, mold. yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. They, they might play some instruments, but it was yeah, in yeah. service of productions of yes. as opposed to being players instrumentalists yeah, yeah, yeah. first so we, we connected quite yeah, yeah. a lot over there and um we i've made a recorded released two albums of his music and there's another one which will be coming out later this year yeah yeah um and, and he's a real talent right as a yeah. composer too like yeah, a real brilliant. i went to that um, jazz festival gig mm-hmm. uh the other year that you guys did and it was two years ago yeah about. something like yeah, that yeah 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 and you know that was a great ensemble mm. and, but and he was a great player but uh Pretty much most of the work was stuff he'd written, right? Like mm-hmm. he was the chief composer. Yeah, yeah. And um, he, he's um, he's another great inspiration for me as far as um, developing, like the development of form yeah. in writing and and the things you can do with form, as opposed to like the things you can do with harmony, melody. Like so, the the shapes of how the compositions kind of come together and how they kind of link back up. That's and the way he writes is quite interesting because he starts with melody first without any sort of reference to rhythm or harmony and just goes with what feels natural and sometimes what feels natural isn't necessarily 4-4 it might be Mm, mm. something in 7 or 5 but that's just what it feels like Mm. and um and then from there he'll construct rhythms around it so it's kind of idiosyncratic but it's also has a natural thing through it at the same time and um and so it's great because as a musician you can't it takes a while to get to a point where you can autopilot through it, so it kind of requires a lot of your um, faculties to kind of get into that music and make human, or make you know, make, yeah. get it out of being just a purely technical exercise into being like musical. And um, yeah, so he's, he's great as far as pushing me and challenging me to be a, a better th- drummer. I'm thinking what, what's interesting about your guys' connection and how you might work together so well is you're both thinking outside of the role of your own instruments and you're both composers and, and you know arrangers and producers mm-hmm. and that but you are the classic like rhythm section as well so mm-hmm. you both you know you both sort of know your roles mm-hmm. as rhythm players mm-hmm. locking in to to support and in his case or yours too to support the music that you've you might have written yeah 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 so you probably default back to together in some way when you're playing you have this instant uh, intuitive sort of grasp of we're a, we're a rhythm section. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true, and I think um and that's it's another interesting point you brought up about like we if you start with the composition then like the music the way that you play your instrument is becomes in service of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another great teacher of that kind of thing for me was Theo Parrish. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, talk, tell me about how that connection comes about. Too. Well, okay, so I'm. I got to know Theo because I put out a, a sort of a jazz trio cover of a piece of his called Lover's War for right. Miles, yeah, yeah. and um, he heard that and got in touch with me and wanted to sign it to um, his label, and I was like, awesome, amazing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which, and that will come out eventually, yeah. but um, 
later, I guess not long after that, he was um, he had the idea of doing like a live band thing because he's a DJ first and foremost. Yes, but he yeah. he kind of felt like he needed to challenge himself and um, and take ownership of his productions and compositions as opposed to like just sampling and DJing. He made that about. like incredible record a couple of years ago. That's a, like a double. So the American Intelligence. One? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we um, I guess we toured. And so you did the tour for that. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, one of the amazing things with him is. He's not like he's he's definitely an original musical thinker, but he's yes. definitely not a musician first. He's a producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when it came to the band, you could almost like he was playing a bit of keys in there, but we had Amp Fiddler as well doing like the the main body of it. Yeah. Um, you could almost he could almost not play, and the sound of the thing would be exactly the same. But what he did do was. Aside from it being like his music, he also like kind of produced the band yeah. in a sense. Yeah, so like, right. so there would be things like, say, I want the the drums to really kick in at this point. So more, um, almost more like a conductor than a band leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and so whilst it was his band and his show, yeah, it was like the thing that was important wasn't him. It was the yeah. the production of the yes. music, and yeah. and he was very staunch about that. Um, and very staunch about um, what he wanted and like being true to like his vision and that was a great lesson for me too because um, I guess and maybe it's like a Detroit thing yeah um, but there's definitely like with the Detroit guys that were in the band there was definitely like a, a sort of a general sort of staunchness about them nice guys totally yeah, yeah. nice not rude or anything but there was like a this is my shit and we're here to represent it. So, I was just going to ask, um, do you, were you having to approximate drum rhythms that were machine-like? Yes. And, and made for machine, or, or were you given the freedom to interpret them in a, in a looser... Um, there was... A, b- bits both. of both. Yeah. Both, yeah. yeah. So, so one of the things that I had to adapt to, which was actually really cool kind of trick, we're going into a bit yeah, of drum yeah. nerdery yeah, now, yeah. is... Um, oh, only just now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he would play... He would want, like... So there'd be parts of the song which would just be snare, cymbal, and yeah. the, the whatever the rhythm was kind of going in there, and then yeah. you'd want the kick drum to kind of fade in, yeah. which is something which, as a if you're producing with like whatever musical software that's like a obvious thing that happens in lots of dance music yeah, like yeah, you start yeah. the kick and it kind of yeah. gradually builds and builds and builds and builds and yeah, builds yeah, yeah. and you just follow the dots of the lines or whatever you know to do that right yeah as yeah, a, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but as to a, organically do that yeah yeah so and organically do it so whilst like maybe my right and left hand are playing at say a forte volume yeah. my kick drum is starting at like triple p and then gradually kind of building up so it sort of had to develop a sort of independence and yeah, be able right. to think and and be able to think of my all the different parts of the kit as like different layers in the yeah. way that um if you were making like programming drum beats like mm. you know you'd have mm. the snare on this channel hi hats on this channel things would cut in and out mm. but when you when you're doing it in Logic that's kind of that's one way to do it but as a drummer you don't really think like that because you're yeah. a human and a, you know the thing feels like one instrument as opposed to like yeah. four different so there was lots of different independence kind of things I had to kind of draw out and I guess sort of get into the the discipline of being quite highly quantized mm-hmm. as well in the way the rhythms come together. So they'd be, be very sophisticated rhythms and they would in a sense have a swing to them but 
it was more about being this anchor point and emulating the the way an MPC or 808 kind mm. of drum production thing would come together and then and then being an anchor for dancers as well so when we were rehearsing <laughs> a lot of the times we'd kind of get into like a jam habit of like yeah. we'd start with the beat and then we'd kind of feel it out and stretch around and play with it and it was cool but when the dancers because he had dancers on the tour as well so when they came in and he at all like throughout the musical rehearsals he was like you know we need to like just stay here stay locked stay um nice and tight yeah. and when you're just playing with musos that may not make sense but when the dancers kind of came in it all just kind of clicked that like these rhythms are ways for dancers to kind of free up and bounce off of them so it kind of became like they kind of became the lead improvisers or soloists and we were kind of backing them and they were responding to yeah. the way the snares were kind of going and they were being able to form their own uh, language and ways of um, expressing themselves by the very fact that the snare was say locking in on two and four or um, the kick drums were in a certain pattern or the hi-hats and cymbals were in a certain pattern yeah. the dancers responded to that directly so if I was just like playing and vibing out that they would kind of not not lose it lose it but it, it didn't make as much sense but yeah. if I had like a floor tom hitting on the end of four of every second bar the dancers they would be hitting that yeah. so that was an important lesson as well as far as the connection of rhythm and dance so how many people are you playing to you know what sort of audiences are you uh, playing to with this band oh pretty big yeah. oh, in fact it was actually kind of surprising because I knew I knew he was a respected um, name yeah, yeah, but yeah, I didn't yeah. realise like Quite, how much pull exactly. he had so it was I don't know we'd be playing all over the place maybe like we sold out the Barbican Theatre in London which might be 2,000 people yeah right um, and so these are of, they're not little pub gigs, they're yeah, theatre yeah, gigs. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're all over Europe, so we went as far as Moscow and yeah. had amazing crowds there. Wow. Um, so that was kind of, yeah, that was pretty um, an amazing experience for me, just like touring on yeah. a bit of a higher level with, with the tour bus and, you know, food. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the money was good as well, which is always nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're also, you know, the stress is on you to perform but the stress is off you in the sense that it's someone else's vision and you're a mm. you're a hired hand in a sense you're yeah you know, yeah so that does that does give you some that does take some weight off the shoulders yeah. compared to when yeah. you're leading your own projects yeah but um yeah it's good and as provide well. some inspiration for when you go back to doing that obviously yeah 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 so there's definitely um yeah i learned a lot from that experience as far as like how to lead a band and yeah. um and setting a vision and, and that kind of stuff. So another, I feel like another pretty key person in your musical development, or at least in um, in your bands and in the, in your music making that we should maybe talk about is Mark to Clive Lowe. Mm -hmm. So what's the hookup with him? How does that come about? And and what do you you know what does he do for you and what do you do for him? Because um, it feels a pretty mutually yeah. beneficial. Yeah, so he, uh, we met, I, I, firstly, I've been a fan of him for I was going to say, he's, he's an important name, really. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, and, and maybe a little bit undervalued um, or underappreciated. I, I would agree. In this part of the world yeah. for what he's capable of and what he's done. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think, so I was, I was a fan of his, and it, even like the way he programs drums was an influence on yeah. the rhythms I kind of like to play. Yeah. Um, we met, uh, I think, when Electric White Hustle had our first show in Los Angeles, and he was living there at that time. And he came through, and um, we kind of we got on, we got along pretty quickly. I think we, we probably related just as people as well as um, yeah. and being into the same music. Mm. And um, I asked him about doing some 
keyboard parts for the one album. Yeah. And um, he very happily obliged and made the songs like a million times better with the magic he was able yeah, to yeah. contribute. And um, then I think the next time we worked together was actually on the Ross McHenry albums because right. um, he yeah, was the, yeah. he was the keyboardist on uh, Distant Oceans and Child of Somebody. So that was the first time we actually and that's properly through their own connection as a separate. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and uh, that was the first time we actually got to like play together as opposed to like doing keys on yeah, yeah, yeah. some stuff I like sharing files and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and um and it was a pretty quick kind of um link up I guess musically and kind of a good understanding of each other musically yeah. and um so when it came time to do the recording of 1.1 and yeah. touring of one like when when that happens like he was definitely my first core guy yeah and um so yeah, we t- we toured uh, the states and Europe together, supporting the one album release and um, and recording one point one, and I've done some remixes for him. And um, if he's ever in this part of world of this part of the world, I'm typically the guy he would play with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think with him, he's kind of I guess he's 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 a mentor to me in in ways of like just being an example of like how you can make a life out of music yeah I was gonna say I, I gather that he's another um, example of a guy who's just you take an influence from him and inspiration from him because he's so dedicated to to turning up and doing it yeah because yeah. uh, for people who do know him and have followed him his name continues to appear mm-hmm. you know he's doing and he's doing a range of things whatever it is to make it work really mm-hmm. but without without ever kind of doing the giant big sort of sell out that he'll regret yeah he's just he seems to be finding ways he's remixing things putting things up to be uh-huh. remixed playing, yeah playing solo playing as a side man yeah. yeah he's yeah he's amazing like i mean and just the caliber of people he's played with too like yeah. he's in harvey mason's band who is yeah. the, um the headhunters drummer yeah. um he's done gigs with like there's YouTube footage of him with like Chris Dave and Eric Harland yeah. and um, Lil John Roberts Harvey at the same Ma- time. Harvey Mason is the drummer on one of my all-time favourite live mm-hmm. albums, George Benson. Weekend yeah. in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think the big thing with Mark is like, as well as his like amazing musical talent, he's incredibly well self-managed. Like right. for for a musician who's like so he's so spread out. He's learned that he had to learn the business yeah. side of it. Yeah. 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 So he's he's very he's Which, got a great work ethic when it comes to like just booking his shows and like networking and he's like just like mind-blowing like I, I don't know anyone else who's that good a musician and that good a music business person well you're doing an okay job but you've got a bit of help right like yeah 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 so i have um, my partner Haley dingle yeah. she's helped me out a lot over the years um I've, I've got a europe tour coming up and i have a booking agent who's helping me out um yeah. My album came out on First Word, which is a label, so they've kind of helped with the album stuff. So, and I've had publicists involved for various little projects and stuff. So, um, whilst I definitely have to do a lot of the, I was going to say you understand the need to engage those people though too, which some musicians get, you know, some get completely lost at even how to start that process. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, that's definitely something which has um, come through trial and error. Yeah, Yeah. kind of recognizing like I can do. I'm not, like, I'm, I think I'm good with emails generally, and um, which is a kind of a pretty key thing. But yeah. um, there's definitely times when I don't have like the motivation levels to do all the admin stuff. Mm. Like, I just have to kind of 
force my way through it because that's just the reality mm. of doing it. But um, I've definitely learned if I don't, then I might have a stretch of weeks or months where I don't have a gig, and then it's like, oh god, okay. uh, yeah. how am I gonna get through? So um, you definitely have to kind of keep that up and kind of keep like working a few months in advance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think I think Mark Mark's just able to do that maybe just from his experience and the time he's been doing it and the amount he's been traveling already yeah. he's kind of built up networks to a point where he could book a tour for himself in Europe pretty comprehensively or the states or even Africa yeah and um and kind of just put it put that together relative like with help but relatively independently and yeah. so he's, a, he's kind of a good um good uh example of an independent musician kind yeah. of making an international career for himself yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so before we started recording you were talking a little bit about i mean you just mentioned the tour but you were talking a bit about what you've got coming up this year do you want to run through it and sort of plot out a little bit of what you've got planned ahead and do some plugs for some some things and and, and take us through the next couple of months of what you've got showing sure. up the next thing I've got coming up is this um, European tour in April, which is going to be happening, which is going to be really exciting. But um, another really cool thing is I've been working with this contemporary dance company in Melbourne called Cage, yeah. and um, we're doing a, a, a show or a program called uh, Out of Earshot, which is um, going to be going down at the Melbourne Jazz Festival this year. Yeah. And um, that's really exciting for me because it's it's just drums and then four dancers. Wow. And um, and so that's a whole other growth thing for me as far as figuring out how dancers communicate and work. And then also, because drums are the only musical thing in there, it, it leaves me quite exposed so to being you, highly aware. Are you, have you composed it? Is it part composed, part um, improvised, or has someone actually composed it for you to read? And uh, it's, it's definitely composed slash improvised yeah. um, in, in collaboration with the dancers. Sure. So um, there's a choreographer and who's called uh, Kate Denborough, who's an amazing mm. choreographer, and she'll, she'll be like, okay, I want something kind of soft here and not rhythmic, mm. but just like a texture or a sound here, and I'll be like, maybe I'll, that'll put me on brushes and mm. finding different mm. textures there, and then um, and she wants the dancers to be doing maybe a sort of a mournful thing around that. Um, so it's kind of making me think sort of outside the square as far as the importance of sound and timbre and texture so and that I, kind of thing. So I totally get why any drummer that has any decent ability at all would want to do something like that mm -hmm. and and and, uh, and and what a uh, a joy and a challenge mm -hmm. that will be probably simultaneously but how does that happen for you like how do you how did, how what was the hookup how did you you don't just wake up and go oh i know what i want to do yeah i want to yeah, yeah. i want to part compose and through play music for dancers yeah um do, do they come to you so so what happened was um kate who's the uh, choreographer, yeah. she saw me play with Ross McHenry in Australia yeah. a couple of years ago, and she sort of had an idea of wanting to do something with a drummer, yeah. just a, a vague picture, but when she yeah. saw the gig, I think she related to um, how I physically yeah. played, I guess she could yeah. see in the way I played, as she yes. could relate to it as a dancer. Well, I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say, you're a, I mean, you're a tall guy, and like there is a real, um, you know, Again, this could sound silly, but there's a real use of limbs around how you play. Yeah. Some drummers hold it in very tight and just play like they're holding knitting needles and just yeah, right. tinkering. You you are a guy who maneuvers around your kit and yeah. your arms and legs kind of show what you're doing. So yeah. I can see how that would inspire yeah. a dancer. I, yeah, yeah. I, and um, 
And I guess, yeah, I prob and whilst it's maybe it's not the best technique, so to speak, <laughs> um, I, I, it works. There, there are times when uh, the energy of the music will make me um, yeah. sort of, I don't know. Maybe exaggerate a movement, not, yeah, yeah, not yeah. disingenuously. No, no, you look yeah. like you're dancing on your stool sometimes, and that's cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so she could kind of relate to that, and yeah. so she reached out to me about this idea that right. she had, and yeah, cool. I think at the time they had they, they had a bunch of money to like sort of try ideas and bring me over to Melbourne. So, so. how many um, performances on it? Uh, we're doing. I think it's like a two-week season in Melbourne, yeah. and then uh, also the Adelaide Cabaret Festival will be having us yeah, as well. Wow. So we'll be doing a couple of shows there too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's cool, man. It's like um, it's a whole other like dancers have a whole other way of communicating and responding to one another, which I'm just sort of yeah. clicking onto, and and a way of emoting too, which I never really understood. But there's definitely a difference between a happy, expressive movement yeah. and a mournful expressive movement and like their ability to kind of tap into emotions through yeah. movement is like a whole other whole other thing that yeah, yeah. like a whole other skill set that I didn't really even realize existed um so that's been that's been an amazing uh growth thing for me and um just a, yeah just another way of just trying to find a way through yeah yeah making a life out of music now you're um you're busy and you're, you're playing and doing things fairly non-stop um, do you still get to go, like, obviously you, you, you are playing with some of your heroes and meeting heroes and seeing great things. Do you still get to go to shows and do you still try to get to go to shows and see great players? And have you, have you been blown away by seeing some drum heroes or uh, some great new drummers? Have you had some cool experiences around that? Not, not as much as I would like, yeah. I think. I mean, I live, um... And, and, and it's laziness on my part, but um, I live, for those of people who don't know Wellington, I live in an area called Eastbourne, which yeah. is a wee bit out of the sort of central hub of yeah. what's going down. Um, so I don't, like, often if I come home in the evening, I'm going to want to just stay. stay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but That's called getting older. We all, yeah, have, we yeah, all maybe, have that. Yeah, maybe I live is. very close to town and I struggle now yeah. to, to go to shows um, as much as I should. Yeah, but um, I'm trying to think of... As, as far as like new drummers coming up, I think uh, Corey Champion's probably yeah. got um, he's got a good future ahead of him. I think um, another guy who's also does the DJ beatmaker yeah. production thing as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, I think he's got makes a good, pretty great music in yeah, that field yeah, he's, too. He's definitely yeah. got a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, but what about internationally? I mean, have oh, you seen like when you're in the states? Have you? You, you know, mentioned Chris Dave. I mean, mm -hmm. oh, well, he came out and played with D'Angelo here, I suppose. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, have you seen, got to see people like that very often? Yeah, I've seen I've seen Chris Dave a few times. I saw the first time I saw him was with the Robert Glasper experiment. Yeah, and that wow. was in that was in New York. This would have been after the double booked album came out, but yeah. before Black Radio when it right, kind of went more yeah, overtly yeah, 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 kind yeah. of hip hop. Yeah, and there was it was just amazing like. The ability of that band that to would be a great time to see that band. Yeah, I love that double book. I mean, I like all the other stuff too, but that double book record yeah. was that's what turned me on. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the sync like the ability there was sort of like this amazing way that they were. I couldn't tell if they were like sort of giving jazz roots or um, yes. uprooting hip hop. Yes, but it was all kind of just in the air and just no holds barred and mm. just amazing. Mm. Um, and, and Chris Dave, obviously, he's um, one of the probably one of the most influential drummers to come out in the last ten or so yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, 
Yeah, he's he's like the Elden Jones yeah. of the day or whatever. Absolutely. Not that he plays like him, but I mean as a figurehead, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Eric Harlan's another one. Yeah. That's, um, really, he's been a, just an amazing inspiration as far as musicality on the drums and like physical ability and dynamics and yeah. um, just joy in his yeah. playing. I really loved, loved his music. Uh, Marcus Gilmore, he's, um, he's playing with uh, the VJ Air trio, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and a bunch of others. And oh, that guy's an, an amazing composer yeah. and player. Aren't you, yeah, DJ? and he's, yeah. he's uh, it, Marcus is uh, Roy Haynes's grandson, right? I think so. Wow. He's, he's obviously yeah. So it's in the blood. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he would have had a, a, <laughs> had good a good upbringing around that. A good tutor. Yeah. Um, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So have you got? Um, that's the first half of your year, kind of flying by, mm-hmm. um, and you've got a commitment to kind of. You want to hang around in Wellington, and Wellington works for you. I think and so. And you can go off and do these things yeah, and come back. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. I think in that I've because I travel around as much as I do. I haven't had like the the big itch to um, yeah totally just abandon it and move overseas like yeah. some other people have. Because you're um, having time out. Yeah, yeah because yeah. because I am sort of getting like mm. a taste of the, mm. the states and European culture and all of that sort of stuff. But um, but what about the the pull of those places, like, do you go, you know, I've got to live in New Orleans, or I've got to live in LA, or there, yeah, there's there def- must be a bit of that. There is definitely, there's definitely a glass ceiling to New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, and whilst that has its frustrations, the trade-off is um, lifestyle. Mm. Uh, I live very close to the beach. Um, I live very close to native forest, and yeah. to get that in like a major American or European capital is um, very, very expensive, whereas in New Zealand, it's just there. Mm. So that that's definitely a thing. Um, having friends and family is another thing. It kind of keeps you grounded. But um, yeah, I, I think I think um, if I'm to be honest about myself and my music career, there is an element which is held back by being so far away from where the thickest streams of activity are. Yeah. But, um, when when the time's right, it'll happen probably. Yeah, the, and and, and the, the, that question will answer itself. Yeah, I and, guess. and and also like um, the, I I definitely put my put myself in knots mentally around like oh, I, just, I, I should be in New York. I was supposed yeah. to be in New York by now. The plan was to <laughs> it was my, it was my plan when I was eighteen, and it yeah. hasn't happened. And like you know all the all the disappointments that come with growing up. Mm. And um, I think I'm I'm trying to. Like for the sake of um, my my partner and uh, my just family and just general overall well-being, trying to be a bit more accepting of well, well, I mean, not accepting to the point of just like giving up, but just um, making, trying to just do the best with what I've got here. And if that means maintaining a base in Eastbourne, and maybe it means having to drop a couple of k to get over for the European tour or whatever, or if it means um, just trying to. Like working with the musicians that are here and mm. like just doing the best I can with um, what I've got around me. Well, yeah, then that's cool. And, yeah, and, and the musicians here, like, the, like whilst maybe they don't have the competitive edge that the New York guys yeah, have, yeah. there's definitely um, like a lot of talent and a lot of goodwill and spirit in like lots of the musicians around. So there's, you know. And you've made the connections that you know. I mean. The, the, the work that you do, particularly the, the genres that you're sort of straddling, the music that you're making, 
this is stuff that can, that can be done and is often done by file sharing, right? Like mm-hmm. you can connect with people and share ideas. Yeah, and that's happening already. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, that's a, that's one of the perks of choosing to be based back here mm-hmm. for other lifestyle reasons. Yeah. You can still connect with that. Yeah, one. yeah. And and whilst it's definitely not uh, not the same as being there. No. There's um there's like just through the internet the exchange of information that I have access to. Yeah. Where I can like you know I can, like say there's a there's a great jazz club in New York called Smalls where a lot of the um, very talented but sort of still kind of up and coming musicians play and they like pretty much live stream all of their concerts so I can yeah, yeah. I can just go on YouTube and look at what's happening in those places or yeah, yeah. Um, or or like say even when I was a kid or, or not a kid but like in university yeah, yeah. I could I could discover Chris Dave through people's iPhone bootleg recordings yeah, yeah. and be like oh my god and yeah. he and he wasn't on any albums which I knew of yeah, at yeah. that time but like I could I could be influenced by that from here and and be able to whilst be on the outside I can still kind of look in and and kind of see it so there is the the amount of uh, separation by being in New Zealand or being anywhere in the world yeah. is kind of shortening and there's there's a more uh, internationalist uh, way of developing as a musician which is a lot easier for people over in the Antipodes compared to what it used to be yeah yeah like I think yeah, like I mean, I think I would have done well, relatively well, if I was maybe like the same age as Lance and grew up in the in the seventies or eighties and was trying to come up as a musician. But I think with what we have now, it means that like the kid who's trying to learn drums can like can get into learn, listen to interviews from yeah. all of their heroes yeah. and uh, and see all footage take, of like take Skype lessons with an international yeah, drummer. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so that's like um, yeah. It's yeah, the world it's is yeah, it's amazing, and um, so living in New Zealand is definitely less of a hurdle now than yeah. it would have been 15, 20 years ago. Sure, um, we've probably lost just about everyone that isn't a drummer by now because this has been a pretty wonderful hour of talking almost entirely drums. So unless you've got anything else you want to bring up, I thought we could end on um, what I feel is a is a high note. Um, I saw you say on Facebook the other day, and I haven't actually read the review yet, but you talked about getting your album reviewed in Modern Drummer. Mm-hmm. And I grew up as a teenager reading Modern Drummer mm-hmm. magazine and occasionally still flick through it or go to the site. And for a time in my life, it was the Bible. Yeah. And yeah. I'm no sort of great drummer, but I'm an enthusiast, you know, mm-hmm. like I love drums in music, like mm-hmm. I'm always listing out. So, And I have several drum heroes. So, yeah, just talk a little bit about what that, how you found that out. Did, oh, you, did you get a heads up? Yeah, and, and how did you feel about that? I um, and also was it a good review? I, I it, assume it was. Yeah, it you was. probably wouldn't have said anything about it if yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> um, I, I, well, that happened. I I sent the album out to pretty much every single music publication that I could. Yeah. Just just because you know why not? Just give it yeah, a shot. You've got to be into it. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, they were kind enough to. I guess have listened to it and decided, okay, we'll we'll do a thing on it. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was it was yeah it was definitely complimentary. Um, and they they took the time to like sort of go into what was happening in each of the songs and yeah, right. um, I as th- you'd sort of expect from yeah. that publication. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and I guess I think one of the things that I 
what I guess one of the best compliments was like the recognition that because this was a live recording that happened in the moment, all the things that were being pulled off yeah. were that much more impressive. So whether yeah, it's yeah. like, say, a piece like City of Atlantis, which is more of a of a formed composition as opposed to and it's not like heaps of room for improvisation yeah, in yeah. it, but like the way that that was kind of um, put together and executed, that they recognise that because it's a live recording, actually being able to do that is um, counts for a lot more than mm. like in the age of Pro Tools, for example, or um, just or uh, I, I can't remember every single thing that they talked about in it, mm. but it was they took the time. Though. They took they took the time and. Um, I guess I think they said they said that I was a musician who sees the big picture mm. and that that that's a, a huge compliment yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. would and be to anyone but I'm sure making music but it seems to make complete sense around what you're yeah. doing and I, th- I think that um, I guess what, what's also cool about it and it, actually Ricky Gooch commented on the Facebook post that like when he was a kid he and, and as you said like um, yeah. it was something which kind of is a bible for yeah for up-and-coming young drummers who are wanting to learn about it and and it was for me too and so um and there were like lots of little discoveries actually i discovered chris dave through modern something drummer. yeah modern drummer something i was gonna say i i have these sense of uh there are some key albums that i only knew to check out because as is the way with a lot of music reviews but uh, modern drummer put me onto you know what about some of my all-time favorite mm-hmm drum albums uh, made me go back and listen to albums that I already owned and liked but with a new a new ear yeah all yeah. that sort of thing um, you know made made people like Alvin Jones a standout hero like uh-huh. you've got to listen to this guy yeah so to be part of that I guess lineage part of that publications story yeah it, count, it definitely counts for something yeah I'm, I'm not I'm, I don't want to get like I it's well, I don't. I don't mean to like shoot myself down, no, no, no. so to speak. But I, I do recognise that um, it wasn't like the cover, no, <laughs> by by any stretch. No, and no, and no. That there's definitely like a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's hey, but you're on the board. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, too, yeah, yeah. Like it's, you, it's, you know, maybe maybe next year or in three years' time or whatever you are on the cover. Yeah, and maybe. If, if you never are, that doesn't mean you don't. You haven't already done heaps of great stuff and won't continue to but yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying like yeah. and you don't and, and a review's a review mm-hmm. so you can take or leave them and all that but I just I really what I liked about that was I went you know man here's a guy who plays drums most drummers know something about modern drummer mm-hmm. it is it is the drumming magazine mm-hmm. and you know for anyone who's read more than an issue of it to end up in an issue of it must be a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 definitely one of those things which is like, which just lets you know, okay, you you you've set out to do the thing and now you're doing you the can thing. T- yeah, exactly. It's, you it's, can tick this part off because yeah. that's a milestone. It is yeah. a milestone. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's just a, a sign that um, mm. I'm probably on the right track. I think. I hope. <laughs>